session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwin. I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. So uh, last week, didn't do a book of the week, so still playing a little bit of catch-up. So I'll do a book review today. Had done one on Monday. Um, but the book for this week that I'll now talk about on Monday's show coming up is When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Uh, this book was recommended to me by my cousin's wife, Isla, and actually uh, my cousin, Pedram, also I read it too, and they liked it. It's by a physician, apparently very heartbreaking and sad, but very touching as well. So I'm looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you on Monday's show. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about today is Feeling and Knowing by Antonio Damasio. Feeling and Knowing, Making Minds Conscious. And a few years ago, I read Antonio Damasio's book, The Strange Order of Things. He's a neuroscientist at the uh, University of Southern California, USC, here in L.A., and very uh, prominent figure in the world of neuroscience, but also writing about things like consciousness. And so this was a new book of his that came out I believe last month where he shares a lot of very brief chapters the book itself is about 200 pages and it's a bunch of very brief chapters some of them just a page some a few pages that go into different topics obviously related to a theme of things like feelings how does feelings and consciousness come about um, and and that way it also makes it easier to read because it is these little short snippets. So uh, to begin with, when we look at something like consciousness, or we're thinking about brains and minds, we, we want to look at a few different things, the definitions, some of which I'll get to. Uh, what was interesting is he talked about how you can be intelligent or being can be intelligent without being conscious. And so he used the examples of bacteria and plants to uh, give examples of that. So, for example, bacteria, we might think of them as just these unicellular organisms. We wouldn't think of them as intelligent. But if you use the definition of intelligence as taking actions or doing things that help promote survival or respond to the world around us, then bacteria and plants do that. Bacteria can um, go towards an area that's more nutritious or uh, safer or less habitable. They are not thinking about it, so he calls this a non-explicit type of intelligence. So they're not thinking or having an image of it somewhere else in their body or, uh, or in the organism, but they still respond to their environment in that way. And similarly, plants might grow towards the sun. Uh, even 
They don't technically move, although the Venus flytrap is kind of an exception to that rule. But in general, we don't see them moving in that way. But even still, they can appear to move in how they grow, and they might grow towards or away what might be more healthy or not healthy, or um, even their roots in the ground might grow towards uh, more nutrients or what they need. So in that way, there is an intelligence, but as he says, not a consciousness, this kind of awareness and experience in that way. So we can have intelligence without consciousness. Um, but then when it comes to what consciousness is, and reading the book, it, at times it's complicated or convoluted to really, for me, I guess, to grasp still what it means. I think when we look at consciousness, because it's this qualitative experience that is very hard to define, when we're trying to understand it, it also becomes difficult to have those conversations. Nonetheless, he explores how we got to consciousness or what he describes as consciousness. And what he essentially breaks it down to is we see the centrality of feelings again. And I say again, if you recall, uh, when I read the book, The Hidden Spring by Mark Solms discussed it, and then also was very fortunate to have the author Mark Solms on the show to talk about his book and his ideas. He was talking about in that book, The Hidden Spring, feelings were really the foundation of consciousness. And there's a similar theme in this book from Antonio Damasio as well, that feelings are a big part or foundational when we look at consciousness. So um, how does that, what does that mean? So he talks about homeostatic feelings, or even that's how feelings likely came about. Um, also a theme that came up in Mark Solms's book, uh, The Hidden Spring, that homeostasis is fundamental when we're trying to understand consciousness. So um, homeostasis, as he writes about it, is maintaining the physiological parameters of a living organism. So things like temperature, um, pH values, things like that. And so what we look at when we think about homeostasis is internally, um, there is an experience of trying to maintain this type of balance and that feelings essentially are coming from that. It's a way of responding to that. So if you can um, have a, it's like a sensor that's telling you you're within the bounds or you're not, so you feel good about that or you're feeling not good and how uncomfortable you are, that could help guide you towards making things right, making things healthy for you. So if you are too hot, um, you then will uh, try to cool down. And the way that feelings can work is actually quite efficient because um, first of all, it tells you something is wrong but then not only do you have to know something is wrong of valence, like a, a good or bad, you also have to know the what. Because if, for example, I know I just don't feel good, but I can't understand that it's because I'm thirsty, I won't be able to resolve that issue. But feelings can have a qualitative experience too. I know I'm thirsty, not that I'm hot or cold or in physical pain of a different kind. So that itself is helpful. And another way that feelings are very efficient is that they give you that information that they're not okay, but also based on what you do and how they, um, how that feeling responds or how you feel as you're doing something, it tells you if you're on the right track or not. So let's say if I am very warm and I don't know exactly what to do, and I, let's say I didn't really understand my feeling, if I put a sweater on, I would feel worse. 
And I'm like, okay, this is the feeling is getting stronger and more uncomfortable. If, however, I, let's say, took that sweater off, opened a window and got some air into the room that I was in and started to cool down, that feeling would also become less bad and I would go towards relief and that would give me a sense that uh, I'm okay. So a lot of our feelings or the fundamental way we could understand feelings is this tendency of resolving a homeostatic imbalance. So I am thirsty, I, I have water, that feeling gets less. I have air hunger, but I can't breathe and that's an intense feeling. If I go towards where I can get air, then I will feel better and the feeling of that discomfort, that pain will become less as well. So we have the homeostasis is a big part of it. Now, in this book, he describes emotions as, uh, he says, the collections of co-occurring and involuntary internal actions, so the things that our body does to respond to maintaining homeostasis. Um, and then feelings he describes as the mental experiences that follow and accompany the various uh, varied states of an organism's homeostasis. So uh, that's the experience that we have is the, the feeling. Here he says the emotion is that uh, more naturally um, involuntary internal actions. Now it's interesting in the strange order of things, if I recall, he was describing emotions as when we emote, so when you show a feeling, let's say a smile, um, or widening your eyes when you're surprised. Here he's talking about emotions in a different way. Um, and, and this is something that comes up often when we talk about these issues, feelings, emotions, affect. And I myself, I'm sure in the course of this show, have used them interchangeably and to mean lots of different things. And you see it often in people's writings and lectures and talks on these topics that we use them a lot to mean at times different things. It also probably shows there's an overlap there. But it is always important to make clear what we mean. And that's often what we have to do. So you say feelings, you have to describe what do you mean when you say feelings. Now, his uh, conception of what we can call consciousness or how it arises is that it is these feeling states. So you have to have the feelings that are basically images. And images doesn't mean necessarily visual, but somehow something is projected into uh, the brain or shows up um, now as a mind, there has to be this feeling states that are having these images and there has to be a sense of perspective or ownership. So consciousness involves me knowing this is my feeling. This is what I am seeing. This is what I am experiencing at this given moment. And he brings up that type of a conceptualization several times, many times throughout the book, that this is uh, what consciousness is. And so the way he talks about it, he says he sees it as not so complicated or uh, this hard problem of consciousness that we think we can't figure it out. He thinks that we can, and we're getting closer to understanding that. So for me, this uh, perspective is um, interesting. It was very similar. As I said, I, I saw parallels between Mark Solms's book. I also read uh, Anil Seth's book, um, Being You, recently, which is also about consciousness. And you see those, the themes. There's a lot of overlap in the thinking and understanding of consciousness and what it is and how it comes about. It's still, of course, going to be, in my perspective, always hard to understand it because it's an experience. And when we try to talk about an experience and describe why it happens, it's challenging. So, for example, we can say there's these feelings that come about, but how do they even come about? And then how do you 
um, become aware of them? How do you make that leap? And he does discuss those types of issues, but I can't say for me it's something that's so clear in understanding how it becomes conscious, but we can understand the precursors to what we experience, and he does talk about that, are evident in other animals and also even in things like bacteria, we can trace that. So I thought that was interesting that he traces in that way the um, the development of consciousness, and he does talk about how we shouldn't think of human as so exceptional as we tend to do to think that we are so different. The ways that we are conscious or what we can do with our thinking might be unique, but it doesn't mean our consciousness or being conscious itself is completely a unique type of a thing. And so that's something I think important to keep in mind and also relevant for how we treat each other, of course, but even other animals. I think what happens with human exceptionalism is we think because we are superior, we can treat other animals however we want. This is often the way people at least rationalize the ways we treat animals. I sometimes wonder if some extraterrestrials came from another planet and they were far more advanced than us. If we use that same logic, then you would think, well, they should just use and abuse us if they want, if they're more advanced than us. But I don't think most people would uh, agree to that treatment or that type of logic. But it could definitely be the reality that there already are these beings far more advanced than us, whatever advanced means to you, but intellectually in the ways that they can think, uh, what they can accomplish. And so I doubt people would think, well, they should be able to treat us however they want. That would make sense to us. No, it wouldn't. So um, another part of this type of experience of consciousness, as I was expect, uh, explaining, uh, the perspective part, we always are going to be limited because we see things from our perspective. So consciousness in a way is dependent on having a perspective that this is me, um, which can be good because it awakens so much. But at the same time, same time, it can be very limiting because I can only see it from my perspective, and that's going to be limited as well. But anyway, coming back to the book, I think it's a good one for anyone who wants to hear another great perspective from one of the leaders in um, the field of neuroscience, and specifically when it comes to consciousness of trying to understand how brains become minds and becomes consciousness. Uh, and as I mentioned, it has a relatively easy way of reading because of these short chapters. So that was Feeling and Knowing by Antonio Damasio. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, hear you quite fine. Hi, um, thank you for having me. Sure. I wanted to speak about my son's dad and my relationship and um, just getting some advice and strategy revolving um, how to maneuver my relationship moving forward. Okay. Now, do you mean your relationship with his father or uh, a different yes. relationship? Okay. Um, how old is your son? My son is four years old. Okay, and how long have you been separated or divorced from his father? About three years now. Okay, so he was about one when that happened. Yes. Okay. Well, give me a little background about what led to the separation, of course, what you're dealing with now that you're trying to figure out how to deal with. Uh-huh. 
Um, well, we uh, were not married. We were engaged for five years. Mm-hmm. And I, um, there was a lot of emotional um, abuse. And um, when things started to go kind of towards physical, I decided to end things there. Um, he had gone into a major injury at work and has had ankle, knee, and two back surgeries during the time things got very um, abusive. And so, not to make excuses, but I do know that there was a lot of um, pain involved on his end and depression and all of that. So, mm-hmm. it kind of um, reflected on our relationship and crumbled I see. what we had. Well, I could also see what complicate from your end of trying to understand what's going on. Is it just you know, these things he's going through. Um, so you're waiting for him to get better. Sometimes people don't know. We don't know what to attribute what's going on. Um, even if we know it doesn't feel right or it's not okay. Mm-hmm. So um, you separated when your son was about one. And now because you weren't married, is there anything with custody or is there anything legal as far as his custody goes? We've been pretty amicable when it comes to our child. Okay. So typically I... Um, we created our own schedule where he gets him every other weekend and visits him two days during the week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, after work for several hours, and then brings him back home okay. for bedtime. Okay. And so let me know what is, it seems clearly you called for something's going on that you're not sure what mm-hmm. to deal with or some problems are coming up. So what are the issues that you're concerned about? Um, there's a couple issues, I guess. Um, currently, he is trying to spend more time with our son which is great but um i don't feel like the things that they do are necessarily healthy they just my son is four mind you and they just sit there and play like call of duty the whole time and i really feel like he's way too young for those Mm -hmm, type of mm -hmm. games and um yeah whenever uh also like he wants to get back with me and i um I'm no longer interested. I've actually entered a different relationship now, and I think he's beginning to... He's very vindictive, and he's just doing everything in his power to kind of make me suffer. Okay, so what kind of I things think, is he doing to, to make you suffer? Um, so, <laughs> what kind of things does he do? Um... He is very verbally um, hurtful, and he says a lot of things um, to just, like, hurt me. Um, For example, this last weekend, our son's best friend's birthday um, was on Saturday, and he was with his dad this weekend. And, um, you know, I'd asked him, like, in the week in advance, I was like, hey, like, would you like to take our son there because they're riding ponies and stuff and he's like yeah that'd be great I'll take him and um, I was like okay well I'll confirm and so then a couple days before the party I asked I was like oh the day before I was like just don't forget like tomorrow this is what's happening and he was like well I wish you could join us and I said "Um, there's really no need for me to also be there if you're going to be there on your weekend if it's uncomfortable I can take him and bring him back and um, 
he got really offended that I didn't want to be there with him and said that it just didn't take our son. He just Mm. said that he's not going to take him and really didn't take him. And um, just like he does little things like that, which is like, it's got ripple effects, you know, like it affects Mm -hmm. me because I, I feel emotional for my son because it's like he's been excited all week. And then it's embarrassing because now I have to speak to his best friend's mom and let like apologize for them not going, although they've confirmed mm-hmm. and um, just like little things like that continually add up. Yeah. And then uh, he's the type of person where he's very defensive and very, very um, short tempered. So for the most part, I just um, I bite back. I don't say anything just and I'm as good as I possibly can be because I want to keep things civil. But at the same time, when I am nice to him, he takes it too far and he doesn't respect any boundaries. And mm-hmm. Well, that, yeah, I that's the, you know, being, you know, nice, I actually think it's kind of like a bad word. You know, it sounds something like it's something good, but it's actually quite bad in the long run most of the time. So it seems like mm-hmm. by, uh, it makes sense you're trying to avoid things getting worse, but it could be in some way allowing, or at least not allowing, but making the boundaries less clear because he thinks, well, maybe it's okay if I do this. And of course you can't control him because you know, we can't control someone else, but we can see what we can do to create clearer boundaries or let someone know what is going to be okay or not okay. Going back a little bit, yeah, the playing Call of Duty at four years old, I'm very against. Uh, it, I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. obvious. Um, and that's, you know, again, can you control him? No, but this is where co-parenting comes into play of, try and have conversations of what do we want our son to be exposed to. Um, and mm-hmm. I definitely think any kind of violent video game, video games in general, at that age, you'd want it to be pretty limited, but especially if it's violent like that, I, I'm very much not okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it seems like your your conversations with him, are, are, do you tend to avoid the conflicts with him or what's the, the mm-hmm. kind of dynamic you have with him? Well, for example, with this uh, video game, I've verbalized multiple times that I really don't feel comfortable with our son being as good as he is and on an iPad you know like I can't even play like that with an Xbox um and I like weekends where he's with his dad that's all they do is they just game the whole time so there goes the exposure but um I told him you know I think that this is a little violent and he's only four and he could be doing so many other games like learning and educational and he gets very upset. He says that you don't know what kind of games he plays when he's with me. And, um, but I do, my ten- my son tells me, mm-hmm. but, um, and then he says that when he was his age, he played Grand Theft Auto. And I tried to remind him that, well, okay, maybe that's true, but that may have been like bird's eye view. And it's like the graphics then compared to the graphics now and how real they are, are just day and night difference. And, um, he just gets angry and goes off and then hangs up on me and then just um, sends me, it goes on rants. And when he goes on his rants, it could be a couple hours. It could be for days. So then what you I mean, like he's texting you or avoiding. Okay. When he's these ran- in these rants, he's like texting you or is he? Yes. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah. And, like, and I, I don't respond and he right. just keeps texting and texting and texting and texting and just goes on and on and on and I just I try to ignore it and not say anything and so 
because of this pattern that he has, I tend to, um, unless it's something that's really, really important to me, like video games or things like that, I, I try not to say anything because, honestly, I, I do avoid conflict with him because it's it's a nightmare. Yeah, and, and that's kind of, it seems to be part of the problem, which changing a dynamic like that will be difficult, but you might need to confront him more, not in a you're mm-hmm. going to attack him back but let him know it's not okay or you know, please stop texting me about this or, you know, whatever, however it might be of letting him know that, um, that, that there's uh you know, something that you're not okay with in, in what he's doing. Um, because it does mm-hmm. seem like he's getting used to these patterns of, of communicating with you in that way. And you might yeah. have to, you know, sometimes we say we pick our battles, which there's some, some wisdom in that, but it also can mean we're ignoring a lot of things that are not okay. And so that's something you might have to, get better at it seems like he's used to this now the video games is very important but there could be even a more fundamental issue when you say he wants to get back with you which might create like these power struggles or dynamics where he's Mm -hmm. trying to get back at you as you're saying because he's not getting what he wants so he's finding Mm -hmm. these ways so let's talk a bit about that how has he expressed that and how have you responded to his expressing that he wants to get back together a while ago, before I entered this new relationship, I asked him, and I was like, hey, like, I really think that we've stepped far enough away from a relationship, and there were some, you know, unfortunate things that happened, and I think that maybe, like, we can give this another shot, maybe try counseling again, and, you know, really try to make this work, because, you know, like, I still, like, have feelings for you, and, you know, I, I shared all of these things with him. And uh, he said, okay, let's do it. And then I found out through mutual friends that, uh, and I was stupid thinking that we are working on our family again. Meanwhile, I find out through friends that he's actually with someone else and like at the time with me. And I just felt really shattered by that. So I Mm -hmm. stepped away from that forever. And And did you, um, did you let him know that you knew? Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm, Yes. mm -hmm. Um, and he uh, he ended up publicly dating her for a couple years, for like two years after that, and has recently broken up like a year ago. So, and, so um, the, you guys went back to therapy that was shortly after the breakup? Or that was recent? No, we had gone through a lot of different okay. counseling and therapy and just like making uh, the seven principles of making your marriage work mm-hmm. or like... Uh, uh, all these different workshops and classes through the Gottman Institute and just counseling um, uh, before I left because for me I wanted to try everything because you know like coming from like a very like Persian background and home it's like you don't leave your relationships right so mm-hmm. I needed to know that I've tried everything and it just is not working and in counseling or in there you know in the classes he would just kind of like be like I'm never going to use this um uh, no, this mm-hmm. is, I'm, I would never even say that. Like with I statements and things like that, he was just kind of like very not receptive. Um, he he can be kind of arrogant where he just feels like everything he says is right. And if you don't agree, then it's either a fight or you're an idiot who's a sheep and follows society's norms mm-hmm. or whatever this topic may be. Okay, so <clears throat> he was, yeah. He, yeah, so he was not receptive to changing receptive to let's say looking at himself but nonetheless Mm -hmm. seems like the relationship was not going to work anyway um so now 
recently though how has he shown oh. that he wants to be together or has uh, has you he shown know, that it's only really through uh uh this is the thing with him he can be really really nice and he's very genuine and has like a great heart but at the same time i really think he's undiagnosed maybe like a borderline personality or something i, I don't know i'm not mm-hmm. certified but um because it's like he's really nice and then you snap your finger and it's completely different and like he's brought it up in the way that like he's like hey i really think it would be efficient for us to be together it would be good for keon to see his family and i want to be with him more so um that's kind of how he's brought it up and to me that's not a justifiable reason and to be honest i i can't even imagine being with him Mm -hmm. anymore now have you expressed that to him uh, yeah, I told him that that ship has, for me, has sailed, and then it was, like, a good couple of weeks of, um, hurtful behavior towards me, um, hmm. and that- then he eventually, like, uh, calmed down, I guess. I-, I don't know, and I don't know that he's still not trying, like, he knows my partner that I'm with now, and, um... He is kind of disrespectful behind his back to him. Like, with me, like, when he comes to drop off our son sometimes, like, he tries to, like, hug me inappropriately or, like, goes in for a kiss. And I'm like, that's not okay. Like, please don't do that. Or he, like, sometimes when I'm calling to let him know I'm dropping off our son, he'll just be like, okay, babe. And I remind him that that's inappropriate. And he's like, oh take a joke like just kind of blows it off in that way and just kind of says that I'm like a prude mm-hmm. and it's it's really just he doesn't accept boundaries and yep. to be honest I'm not good at setting boundaries so it's like uh, that's also where I struggle um, yeah and that's going to be yeah. your your test or your challenge here is and he might he probably won't respond well to them in the sense that He's not going to like them, and we we don't need to specifically diagnose him. But if you're saying he doesn't like boundaries, and obviously he's not going to like them when you you set them, but the alternative is is going to be worse, where he's going to keep pushing in these ways, and so you know he's got to let mm-hmm. him know that's you know he can call you say he can call you a prude or whatever he wants. Like this is not okay for me, and you just keep reiterating that. And usually with boundaries, even with kids, but uh, with adults too, it could be helpful. At, they might get frustrated, but you just say it the same way, whatever mm-hmm. they say, because they, what they try to do a lot of times, they try to poke at it. So it's like, you know, you say, yeah. I'm not okay with you calling, you know, saying that. He's like, oh, you mean never, ever? It's like, I'm not okay yes, with you saying. Exactly <laughs> yeah. So you just keep saying the same thing. I'm not okay with you. You just keep saying it. Well, what about if this or what, you know, what if it's in a joke? Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to come up with all these ways of just trying to break the boundary and you have That's to show, exactly yeah, and you have to show that this wall is not moving. You know, this is a, yeah. it's here. It's not, some, sometimes the door is open, sometimes it's not. This is, and so he's going to need even more explicit, if you're saying he's so tough about it, um, mm-hmm. you're going to have to push even harder. Now, I'm looking at the time. We're at a commercial break, but I do want us to continue the conversation. Mm-hmm. We can explore a bit also what makes it very challenging for you, um, but seeing mm-hmm. what you can try with him of setting setting some more boundaries, Okay. Thank you. All right. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Hello. All right. So we were talking about your your situation you're having with 
mm-hmm. um, your son's father, who, your son is four years old. Um, there does seem to be issues, as you said, with boundaries. And it, it does seem likely that you and him, you were a perfectly bad match in some ways because he doesn't like boundaries and you were okay with him pushing them, even likely when you were together. Uh, but I say perfectly bad because it could feel good at the beginning and then it almost matches up, but um, it, it usually ends really bad and that you're going to get resentful and unhappy, which seems to have happened and things just got worse. And so now you're trying to create a new dynamic with him when it comes to parenting your son, which is really the only way you want to be connected to him. You think he wants more and that's one of the challenges you have um, is, mm-hmm. is reiterating that and it does seem like he's trying to if he can't have you hurt you in some way, um, either just out of the anger that you, he feels rejected by you, or it could be to then take away your other options so you might come back to him or something like that. But either way, it does seem like he's expressing a lot of anger towards you, which shows up. You use the word yourself acting out, um, but it seems like you feel like he's doing that uh, with you. And so setting the boundaries is going to be tough, both because you have a hard time with it and he has a hard time with having boundaries set for him. And so you're going to need to, you know, keep re-motivating yourself in a way to to do this because you're likely going to want to go back to the comfort of, you know what, maybe it's easier to let this one slide. I don't want to hear him and what he's going to have to say to this. But what's really important when we're setting boundaries is consistency. And that's going to be tough for you because you prefer to avoid the confrontation in the moment. Mm-hmm. So where are things at right now? What's what's the current state of affairs? Right now, everything is pretty much separate within our lives. I do feel like I have two major things kind of going against me when I do try to set boundaries or be strict with him. Mm-hmm. For one, he's like a, a major splurger. And when it comes to our son, like I'm more of like a... Um, strict mom coming from like a Iranian background Mm -hmm. and he's um, just a splurger so he he spoils and treats our son with whatever without any questions of you know appropriateness for age or whatever and um, so now I've come to the place where it's like my son wants to be at his dad's house because he wants to be on his iPad and I refuse to let him have his iPad at my house Mm -hmm. because I don't want to participate in allowing him to play those violent games so that's one big issue I have and then another issue that I have as far as like whenever I do try to set boundaries and I do get really strict with him I have like my mom who's like oh it's okay you know like you know just let it you know do it for your son or and I don't know where this comes from with her because well I kind of do because it's like similar with her and my dad where they're no longer together and she keeps allowing him him an opportunity to be around and you know be present and my dad always turns out to hurt her in some way or like embarrass her or you know um, intimidate her or whatever that may be and so I see that same cycle with Mm -hmm. with my son's dad now and I want to stop it but then it's like I have her who is one of my main supporters in everything I do kind of going against the boundary that I'm trying to set so then it makes Mm -hmm. me feel like maybe I'm not doing the right thing and maybe I need to set boundaries with a lot of people in my life I don't know (laughs) there there probably is some of that for sure and and you were able to point to some you know this 
issue that your mom herself might be similar, which of course means you were exposed to it and you saw that and you, you know, there was some modeling going on there. But then when she's looking at your situation, if the driving forces avoid the conflict, um, then, you know, she's like, well, do, you know, and, and now not that she's necessarily being manipulative, but saying it's for your son. Um, what she's saying is like, let's just avoid a fight right now, or let's avoid the conflict right now, or do what's easier in the moment, which is part of what avoiding conflict is all about is just this feels easier but you're doing it for your son bigger picture whatever you know if if that's the reason and so what's hard is you're trying to make a change and when you're trying to make a change your own comfort zone is to do it the way you were doing it so of course Mm -hmm. that's going to be you know an issue but then the other um, problem is that if you have other people doubting you it's going to push you more towards keeping it um, the same you know so Mm-hmm. that's important for you to be aware of is that, you know, this is going to make it harder for you to change. So you might have to let your mom know, look, I'm, I'm trying to do things differently because this is not working. Here are the ways that's not working. And so that's why I'm doing, it. I'm not doing it against my son. I'm not doing it selfishly just for myself. Mm-hmm. It's for the betterment of my son overall, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a tough situation that you're in and you're trying to get, you know, help and advice to figure it out because, you're not sure. It seems like you're probably not sure how to do it, but I'm wondering, are you even sure of what you want to do when you say about setting the boundaries and doing those things? Um, for me, I've realized that with my son's dad, it's a lot easier to kind of be friendly with him, mm-hmm. but then everything is blurry for him. It's not just like he doesn't realize that I'm just being nice for the sake of us being co-parents and having an amicable relation. Mm-hmm. He kind of just takes that too far. So I've come to the point where it's like I just have to be very black and white with him. And uh, honestly, like that's a really good question because I, I don't know exactly like how much is like okay and how much you know I need to like cut off I really I really yeah. don't know where the borders are myself and you know the co-parenting is something we you know it's an easy thing to say but can be very hard to execute especially because both parents have to be willing to be fair participants in that by fair I mean trying to work together and I'm not sure mm-hmm. if he'll give you that but you know in talking to him about not just okay what he you know you might want to not just say what he's doing is wrong but how can we be more consistent together as parents and how we're dealing with him and 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 being with him um Mm -hmm. now your perspective on your uh his father is that he's going to try to use whatever he can either against you or to get his son but we have to try to Mm -hmm. see is there some kind of middle ground or common ground that you can find to to -hmm. make things work and what you have to also be careful about is you might go to the other extreme if you feel like his father is being too lenient when he's there you could have this feeling i have to make up for it when he's here and we really wouldn't Mm -hmm. want you to do that because then it could be overly strict here and then overly permissive there and that's obviously not going to be good for your son either to have that inconsistency yeah so as far as like i guess from your opinion on that birthday party do you think i should have um participated in that event with them or do you think it's a good thing that I said no there's no reason for both of us to have to be there well it's I mean it's hard to give a black and white on that I think the hard part is you think he's using that as like a in a manipulative way to get you there to spend time with you is that what you thought he meant by that 
That's yes, because previous to how um, he had texted and said like, well, I wish you would have come. And then I was going to drop off our son and I didn't answer him on that. And so he called me and he was kind of like cussing at me and saying all these different things, not letting me get a word in and then brought up that. And why don't you want to come? You didn't answer. And so I knew that's where like his anger previous to that comment was coming from. And I just kind of was like, you know, you're assuming that it's fun to be around you, but look at how you're speaking to me now. And then he proceeded to cuss at me and hang up. So, and then after that, I think his feelings were a little hurt. But um, I do think that's what he tries to do is tries to use those situations for us to be together as like a family. And I don't really think that that's appropriate anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it could be okay sometimes, you don't, you know, if he let's say your son has an event, I would hope you're both there. There's different things that it would be good for you both to be there for your son. Um, You don't have to necessarily, you know, make it seem like we're a family. And if you get that vibe from him, I I know you said it was like a friend. So, so maybe you felt like he was trying to make it, Oh, with our old friends, let's kind of be together. So I don't know if that's what you felt like was what he was going for. Um, But I also would want you not to resist the things just because he's saying them again like because you're trying to react to his boundaries so don't do something you don't feel right about but if you want to go you can go or um you know you can emphasize the importance of your son to be there so you know we really want him to be there but it does seem like mm-hmm. what you're describing i'm only hearing obviously your side of it that your um former partner your son's father is you feel that he's manipulative in certain ways that could be difficult because it's hard just to take him at his word with a lot of things and so you, you know, mm. pull back. I, I wouldn't say you should have definitely gone. Um, you could have gone. I don't think it would have been wrong if you went. And you could have made it clear when you were there and communicate with him that, you know, this is how it is. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, of course, his parents. So we're going together as his parents, but nothing more, uh, more mm. than that, you know. But this is going to be an ongoing type of a thing. And look, you, your feelings are very important, but your son is the most important one out of all of this so how do you see him being affected by what's going on i mean i think that he's honestly very confused because we do have very different households um it is very lenient and relaxed at his dad's and i mean i'm lenient too i'm not like crazy strict but i do have rules and we have routines like i've been trying to get him in bed by 8 30 because he wakes up early for school and so it's like through the week I get him onto these routines and, you know, he starts to go to bed by 8.30 on the dot and then he goes to his dad's for the weekend and then when he comes back he won't sleep till like 10.30, 11. And so things like that I think are, you know, affecting him because it's like he's he's not getting consistency from two places and um, I let him watch TV, I let him watch cartoons and stuff but I don't allow him to play video games, and and I know that that's what he, him and his dad are bonding through right now at his house, and um, and like you know, and I think like he's realizing that you know, dad is a lot more fun than mom, and dad gets me anything I want, and you know, mom says no a lot more, and so like he like you know, he tells me that he wants to go to his daddy's house, and I ask him, well, you know, what do you do there? And he says, well, I want my iPad, and. So then now I've come to the place where it's like, well, obviously that hurts my feelings too, you know, because it's like no parent wants to hear that. But 
then now I'm like, maybe I'm being too strict and maybe I should get him an iPod or, and then that's something I'm torn between because I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, do I follow his footsteps just to like continue having my son's love or do I be, do I keep maintain things the way that I do and eventually maybe he'll get be old enough to like get over that phase, which I honestly feel like he won't. Well, I mean, you know, your son still is going to love you. I mean, he might show, tell you, I want to go play at dad's or be at dad's. And, and this is where it's, you're right. I mean, you have to be real that it does hurt or you have feelings about how your son, you know, talks about you and his dad and being there or being at your place. So we can't expect you to have no feelings, but we want to be careful not to let those feelings drive your, your actions so that, okay, let's do something because your son will love you more. We obviously want to do something to make sure your son feels better. And so I can get it. It's tough to think, should I do things for my son when he's at my home that I think are worse for him just to make things more consistent? Or, you know, is that the right thing to do something less healthy for him? But what is the effect on his mental health of having the inconsistency also? So it's a, unfortunately, might feel like you're choosing between two bad options when you're trying to figure out what to do here. But that's in a way where you are at. Again, you're describing his father not as the best person to communicate with so I can understand when you if I ask you to talk to him again or say how can we make things more consistent and I wouldn't attack what he's doing there if you bring that up you know I want it to be more consistent when he's here and there because that's good for him so how can we make it more consistent now if he just says oh I'm going to do whatever I want or you know I don't want to like have to talk to you about what we're doing I mean that makes it hard but I would see if there's any way of finding some let's find a middle ground and it doesn't mean you have to go exactly to what his father is doing. So it has to be like, you know, you have to make it the same. Um, and when you're thinking about your son loving you, uh, you know, I don't know enough about your relationship with him, but specifically these rules are not going to make or break that completely. So I wouldn't get too worried about your four-year-old son making a decision about loving you um, based mm-hmm. on these things. Now, if you're being mean to him or harsh with him, yeah. But the yeah. boundaries, a lot of times kids... They, like just like you know you're seeing with your ex but they, they're going to push against the boundaries always i mean it makes sense he it's fun to play video games and be on his ipad so he's going to want that and if he's doing it sometimes he doesn't understand why he shouldn't be able to do it now so we could understand him wanting to play at your house and that's what you have to be aware of because what can happen is since you don't express that much anger towards his father you don't communicate with him much but even if you do there's not a lot of conflict you have to be very careful that your anger doesn't start getting directed towards um, your son. That's my concern, mm-hmm. is that you're going to start spilling that anger over to him because he's going to be an expression of your ex not doing the things, you know, or doing the things that he does mm-hmm. that you don't like. So he comes and now he's trying to go to sleep at 10 p.m. and you're like, oh, that's his dad doing that again. And you're going to be mad at him that he's not getting mm-hmm. ready for sleep. And so you have to be very mindful of that, that it's not your son's fault that he's you know, he's being pushed and pulled in these ways. That's not up to him at all, but he's going to be mm-hmm. the one that ex- expresses it and he might make you react to it. So that's something I'd want you to be very careful about is not uh, directing that anger towards him because he might be the only one mm-hmm. around you to, to, you know, share that with. But as far as what you should do, I would say uh-huh. I wouldn't be against you being more lenient at home, not going completely mm-hmm. against your values or doing something horrible, but I, I would be okay with that. But I would suggest trying to talk with his dad about let's let's see we got to make things better for him it's not about you and i'm doing parenting right and you're doing parenting wrong 
It's that we want to mm-hmm. make things more consistent for our son because that's uh, really going to hurt him, this inconsistency. The thing is, I have had this conversation with him before revolving his bedtime because I say, you know, like, it's good for him to sleep at this time. I've gotten him used to this. He's going to school and he agrees and he says he's doing it. But then when my son comes home, he's like not ready to for bed until like 10, 30, 11. And I'm like, yeah. I can tell that you haven't done this based on the evidence of my child not even being tired around his bedtime. And so that's the other thing is like he says he's doing, he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, we're definitely doing that. But then he doesn't. And so like currently um, he was telling me the other day that it's been a year since he's dated anyone and this is the first time since he started dating since he was 12 years old which was crazy for me but um and so he is now being more attached to our son since he's been single and now he's asking that my son stays the night with him on Tuesdays and Thursdays where he has him for the afternoon and I really am against that because you know like um for example, when he brought him last night, he hadn't had a bath. He hadn't. He was not in pajamas. He hadn't brushed his teeth. And it was 1030 when he dropped him off. And it, it, he just, like, blatantly disrespects anything I try to do and say. Like, he well, says okay on paper. That's the part where you say anything I want to do. You know, it's you and him are coming to these agreements together. Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, so I, I think you see it as like, yeah, I think, you know, you, you feel like you are the more responsible one and maybe you are, but it then comes off as I'm the parent and you're kind of like sometimes parenting, you know. So if you're you're doing it together, you're going to have to accept him doing more things that, you know, it won't always be the way you want. Even parents that live in the same mm-hmm. home, this comes up where moms will say, okay, I want the dad to help out and the dad does something and it's like, oh no, you're doing it wrong, so don't do it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they go back to doing it. So you're going to have to give him some of that space. And I think you have this fear of losing your son to him um, because of this, he's having more fun there. And so maybe him asking for these nights also feels like a threat to you that I could lose my son even more or they might get closer and I lose my son's mm-hmm. love. Um, it's likely not to happen. It's not unless, mm-hmm. again, I don't know all the details of what's going on, but I wouldn't let that drive you very much if you can mm-hmm. come to terms with that. You know, if you're someone who's a, uh, a conflict avoider, you probably are a people pleaser and people pleasers tend to think their relationships are much shakier than they are, that the people mm-hmm. that love them might stop loving them or might go away. And with your son, it's not going to be the case that if he's having more fun there for a while, he's going to forget about you or not be with you. And you don't want to continue mm-hmm. that dynamic where that becomes the fun. And, you know, you want to have fun with him too in different ways. Yeah. And you don't have to go to we everything do. he's doing. Yeah, I'm sure you do. But just making sure that you're not, as I said, that anger doesn't come out. And don't let that threat of losing him drive you in these mm-hmm. these types of decisions. But yeah. it's it's going to be a challenging one, you know, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess for me, the reason I don't like to let him spend the night is because it's a school night and I want yeah. consistency with that. And also well, he goes to work at seven in the morning. So that means like my, he would have to drop my son off at like six thirty, yeah. And I just kind of felt like that's hard on his it, little body. But, it could I be, mean, but it's something to figure out, you know, again, like if you could figure out with his dad of how do we make this work? And we want him to be close to his dad to as hard as it is. Mm-hmm. 
I think because you know you have your own feelings about him and about how he's parenting him and about losing your son. So I can get that, but we we want him to be close to his dad. He needs that too. Yeah, he's a good dad. For yeah, sure. he's okay. a great dad too. So you know that's and it's you know it's going to be different yeah. from you, and you might want to have control over some of the things as well, which I can get. But you're going to have to probably relinquish some of that control while also setting boundaries on the other things like how he's talking to you and treating you um, mm-hmm. that are really important and. And then if you have that, it might actually make the co-parenting more likely to happen. If he doesn't feel like he's, you're pushing back on everything he does, he might be more willing to then accommodate you as well. You know, it won't make mm-hmm. as much of right now. You almost have like a parent teenager relationship with your ex, the way you're describing it, you know, even like mm-hmm. trying to enforce these rules at his house with, you know, your son. And so the less you make it a power struggle from your end, doesn't mean don't set boundaries, but the power struggle part, it's likely to make it easier for you and him to work together. Mm. So I've gone kind of way over a commercial break because I wanted to make sure we could wrap some things up. No, no, don't be. (laughs) That's you know that's interesting. I I put you in a tough spot, but then the you know conflict avoidant or people pleaser, you think you have to apologize. That's on me that I I kept us you know going. So don't worry about that. But wish you the best. It's going to be you know it's challenging, um, but thanks for calling in. Wish you all the best with that. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. All your insight. My pleasure. Have a good day. Take care. All right, let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Farid. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for calling. Hey, this is Kathy. So I have a question, actually, regarding my daughter. I have a two-year-old daughter, hmm. and uh, she she turned into in October, and I just recently uh, have a son who is uh, who was born in November 16, which is a couple of weeks oh, ago. Wow. Okay, congratulations. Thank you. Now, um, so um, I have actually two concerns. Number one question is, I, I'm, I'm very lost. Like, uh, I don't really know how to communicate with her in regards when it comes to my son. I don't know if I should be harsh with her, if I should use, like, you know, like a Persian language, like stuff like, you know, open it, but I'm like, don't do this, don't do that. Or because she keep wanted to make love and she keep wanted to kiss him, but then at the same time, sometime I realize she's biting him, like biting mm-hmm. his hand. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, you know, the war when it's been on the terms of endearment, I hope you'll always use them with her. Um, you know, when yeah. you have a two year old, sometimes I think, obviously, when you see your newborn, your two-year-old compared to the newborn looks really big and old but we have to remember she's still a baby herself and so we shouldn't expect more than a baby from her you know that she uh, doesn't mean we'd let her do things that hurt the, the her brother of course not but to understand that we can't have this expectation that she's gonna just uh you know behave the way that's easiest for us um and also that it is overwhelming for her you know, she probably does think, oh, he's so cute and little and does have a feeling of love towards him, too. But also there's going to be some anger and aggression and confusion. And I'm sure he's taking a lot of your attention, especially, but everyone's attention. And so we can yeah. understand that she's very just overwhelmed. You know, there's just a lot going on for her to take in good and bad and just changes. And you're going to be 
probably more tired. Even, you know, when you are playing with her, I'm sure your energy is going to be different right now. So there's so much she's dealing with that has changed. And so, um, again, we don't want to let her hurt your, you know, your son, her brother, but we do want to be very understanding. I don't think the harsh, if you think about being hard with her, that's going to be the, the thing that changes things. Even sometimes if we react so strongly, the child might use it as a way of uh, getting our attention or getting a rise out of us and part of a power struggle, a power dynamic of, oh, I can make mommy really give me attention by, you know, biting him or by, you know, squeezing him. Um, even maybe, maybe we'll make sure you see it sometimes. So sometimes she might want to hurt him so she does it, but sometimes it's to make sure you see it so that she knows she gets a reaction out of you. So to me, the harsh reaction is not uh, the way to go. Okay, so what should I, um, um, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know if I should um, kind of like be super nice to her or should I be hard? I mean, I, I don't, um, that's the part I'm yeah. doing Well, I mean, it's it's tough. You know, when, I, when you said you just had a new baby boy and I said congratulations in my head, I also was thinking good luck because you have two kids on, around two, you know, exactly. two and under. So it's a very, very challenging um, situation to, to manage. And what is your support like as far as you know your if you have a partner and then other family involved that are helping you with the kids so uh, right now uh it's uh, me my husband and my mom mm-hmm. um, my mom is here helping out uh, my husband not so much because he works from home but he's very busy with his work so it's mainly just me and my mom mm-hmm. okay. and uh, it's just like my mom mostly take care of him and I try to give attention to her uh, so that she kind of don't see the gap, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I try to play with her, but it doesn't matter how much I try to do for her. When I want to breastfeed him or whenever I want to do stuff with him, she's always in the way. And she, she always tried to, like, say, oh, I want, just want to kiss, mm-hmm. you know. But then you realize she's squeezing him and some, do something dangerous. And I don't want it to anything happen to him. But of at the course. same time, I just don't know the tone of how to talk to her. Like, uh, I don't know if I, should, like I said, I don't know if I should even like try to, uh, you know, make her go away with my hand or push her away. Is that the right way to do, or is that? Uh, well, I would. I, I really don't. Well, obviously, preventing her from if she's actually harming him, you might have to physically pull her off or do something. But anything that's physical towards her and pushing her you know let's look at if we take a step back it looks like you're saying how do i solve this situation or what's the best way to go forward and i was saying your expectations of her and the expectation of the overall situation is these types of things are going to keep happening you know there's no if you do it this way if you say these things in this way she'll never do it again and so i want to take that pressure off of her and off of you, that it's not that if you do it right, because I get the feeling in what you're saying, of course, it's probably so frustrating, but there could be the sense of like, why does she keep doing it? Or why can't I stop her from continuing doing this? And so I hope you right. can take some of that pressure off of yourself and that expectation that this isn't something that if you said the right thing, your daughter would just now be totally cool with all this stuff, you know, and would not be bothered right. by it it's just it's too much for her to, to handle she's feeling it's nice you're spending time with her but then that can make it even harder that when you're going you know to be with 
Her brother, it hurts even more, makes her more angry, or she gets more possessive of you. And so it's it's going to be a challenge that's there. So it could be good for us to, in that way, lower our expectations and take that pressure off of ourselves that this isn't something that I or anyone can tell you that if you say and do these things, it's going to be perfectly smooth. It's going to be a rough ride. And we're just trying to make this challenging period um, easier. You know, when I was... Your the age is also on the lower side in their gap, um, yeah. which makes it tough. You know, as I was saying, your two year old is obviously two is still a baby, so uh, you know she still needs to be attended to as a baby. And I've seen this a lot. With it's hard not to. Anytime we see something and we see something smaller, the even the previous small thing is going to look bigger. And so the expectation can change on our two year old. Whereas if you just had a two year old, you probably wouldn't ex- expect as much as you do now because you have a younger child that you feel like is more helpless and you know you can't exactly. expect anything from so we have to remember that she's she's two you know and and also another way of having a bigger perspective is this happens essentially every time we have two very very young kids even my own brother i think wanted me to be returned to the hospital um, after a few weeks that I was home because he just oh. didn't he wasn't really a big fan uh, of having a baby in the house that was just crying and screaming and taking attention and so thankfully him and I they didn't have the receipt apparently so they couldn't give me back um, and oh. thankfully him and I have a good relationship and things are fine so I, I say that just to also reassure you that of course in the moment you have to respond and be there and be present but it could be also good to remember the bigger picture that this is it's going to be tough and you know it's easy for me to say it here but you dealing with the the sleep deprivation, trying to take care of two exactly. uh, beings who are responsible to you or you're responsible to them and dependent on you. Um, it, it's very much easier said than done. But I just want you to sometimes remind yourself that this is the challenging time that isn't a permanent type of a thing. Um, but definitely, I wouldn't say any harshness is going to make it easier. It's just going to make her feel worse. And really, if we think about it, how could she not feel these ways, right? How could she not um be hurt that you're giving your attention to someone else or that you're less available to her that there's some you know even as as adults we can get annoyed by the crying if we really think about it so now he's you know she's hearing more crying and things it's just it's not as it's not pleasant for her so we want to empathize with her and realize this is really really hard and yes we wish in a in some kind of perfect world if she acted just right it would make your very very hard situation less hard it's already stressful enough but we have to remember that we can't expect her to not be uh, a two-year-old. And even, you know, this is something as she gets older, we wouldn't want her to feel like she has to just be good to make things easier, which would make things easier on you, right? And so we want to give her the space always to still be a kid and have her own um, experiences, whatever age she is as the older sibling, because she's going to, you know, need that. So it, this is very tough. And I'm I'm glad your mom is there to help you, your, uh, you know, your a husband also obviously is the co-parent whatever he can do the more the better to take some of that pressure off of you but really for you internally to take that pressure off of yourself that there's nothing i can do that would make this easy there's nothing i can do that okay, would stop please, that uh, just like i have to think about it this is just the episode or not permanent i just yeah. have to let it go and you you know okay. you communicate with her oh you know we want to you know t- you know I know Persians say nausea, like touch them gently. Well, how do we kiss them? What do you, you know, those things. So you, you can, you know, tell her, but don't expect that. A lot of times I hear parents say, well, now she knows 
not to hit him, but she still does it. It's like, it's not that even look at our own selves, how many times we re repeat the same behavior that we know is not good or same actions that we know is not the best for us. So how should we expect a two year old now is just not going to and and sometimes maybe she does want to hit him because she's angry and frustrated. She doesn't know how to express it or she bites him. You know, kids are it's we communicate in so many ways, our words and our behaviors. And when you're even younger, you're have a harder time holding your feelings in and communicating is harder. So we can understand that the bite is what she does. And of course we have to protect her little brother. So we have to intervene, but we don't want to make her feel bad that she can have that, that impulse. So we communicate it to her. We don't want to hurt him. Don't, you know, bite him. Um, we, we want to, you know, just make him feel good. Just like we make you feel good. But, but I, I wouldn't go into the shaming route or the harsh or definitely not touching her, hitting her in any kind of way ever I would say ever 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 hitting either of your kids even in small ways we sometimes think oh it's going to teach them it doesn't it just teaches them that we hurt them that they could be afraid of us that anger is a way to get people to do what you want even for themselves it just teaches them all sorts of bad things and doesn't even internalize what you think we what you're trying to teach them and I actually think it's funny sometimes parents will be like I hit my son to teach him not to hit my younger son and it's like how, how does that make sense if you're trying to teach them that hitting is wrong you can't teach it through hitting so if you want to show her that being um, aggressive with her younger brother is wrong you're not going to do that by out aggressing her you know or being more aggressive um, it's exactly. going to be over time okay. so it just know that and it's a challenging I, time yeah go ahead and then I sorry and I have one other question I just want to be quick I don't want no to don't be quick too much. let me actually stop yeah. you there I'll stop you there for a second because we're a little bit past the commercial break anyway and I don't want you to have to be quick let's talk after the break okay okay thank all you right so we'll be right back welcome back before the break we're with a caller let's go back to them now caller are you still there Yes, hi, that's okay, right. Okay, hi. thank you. Uh, so my other question that I have or concern that recently sort of become worse is that uh, my daughter, she's extremely picky eater. Like mm -hmm. she does not eat. And I even talked to her pediatrician and he mentioned just not to give anything to her and let make her be hungry and she would eat anything. I even done that and she still like tried to pick and choose and then she sometimes screams, she goes to the pantry and she points out stuff like I want this, I want that, but she won't eat uh, like what I make her, even even like it's delicious, I know it's delicious, like it's not like taste bad or anything, mm -hmm. but she goes and I even put the lock in the pantry for her to not go there but she still try to do that and she still uh, like a screen like she doesn't want to eat well, whatever I cook well I would want to you know um, and this is gonna none of what we're gonna say is gonna be in any way related to the quality of your your cooking which I'm sure is quite good it doesn't have to deal with that this is probably related to other things um, my first question is, was she always a picky eater or did, has that changed? No, she was a little bit picky eater mm -hmm. for, like I should say, three, four months ago, but recently become extremely worse. Okay. So a few things. One is kids can have differences in how sensitive they are to lots of things, including um, when it comes to food, tastes, textures. Uh, smell because smell is a big part of taste so there's a range of how sensitive 
kids are in general. So some kids just by nature are going to be less picky about eating. Some will be more. Now, also what you're describing that it happened in the last few months, of course, there's been big changes in the home in the last few months with the baby being born, I think about two months ago. Um, and so that itself could also contribute. There's a, things are getting more unstable, a little bit more unsettled, and that could create something. And then on top of that, what I want you to be careful about, it seems like you're already getting into a power struggle with her about food. Um, and then so with the new baby and with other things, this could get thrown into the mix of things. Uh, another way that she might try to battle with you in a way. So we don't want to create a fight with her about what she eats. And even the way you said it, well, she doesn't eat whatever I cook her. I don't know if you mean she won't eat anything you cook her. Is that what you're saying? Or she won't cook, eat all the things that you cook for her? No, she she being picky. Like if it's okay. a rice and a meat, she would just eat rice. She okay. doesn't want to touch the meat. Maybe she doesn't. If I take her rice away, yeah. like if I just want her to eat meat, she won't eat meat by itself. If I try to put yogurt into it so it would give some taste, she only would do yogurt, not meat. Or any anything has to do, like anything that is good for her growth, like as far as meat, vegetables, as stuff that I want her to eat, she won't eat. But she eats like dairy stuff a lot, like yogurt, cheese, milk, and uh, crackers. and. Okay. Uh, those nutri-grain bars she would eat those and then i tried to sort of give her petty shirt because i was so afraid that you know she's not getting enough protein so i just try to give her like petty shirt every morning just because she won't eat egg anymore and i'm i'm kind of a one of those anxious mom i always yes. worry and stuff but <laughs> i get but that feeling I, already the anxious yeah. mom part and that's the part where we have to be careful because what I'm feeling from you, and even the way you say it, the tone is you're mad at her for not eating those things. Or you're almost taking in, like you're almost being insulted by her not eating yeah, the things. Yeah, and I make too. it even tasty. I make it, you know, but it might not have anything to do with that. It doesn't have right. anything to do with that. So uh, a few things. One is I'm not a pediatrician to speak on her nutrition. Is her nu her pediatrician concerned about your daughter's nutrition? Well, the pediatrician, like I said, he he sort of told me that, you know, take everything away. Don't let her eat anything, or even if it's going like seven, eight hours. Okay. But then I can't do that because then she's screaming. She wants other stuff. But, I mean, is the pediatrician saying don't give her anything that she'll... Oh, she's he's saying yeah, do that so said, she'll eat the things you want her to eat. Exactly. Well, so he's saying, like, make her hungry and she would eat anything. Maybe not, not maybe not necessarily depends on how much she doesn't like those things. And I do think exactly. she's feeling the, the power that, you know, the struggle with you, it's getting pretty intense, you know, in a, in a small way, but it's getting to a point where she's picking up on, I'm sure what you're feeling about the food and it's going to make her less likely even to eat those things you want her to eat. So if you push it on her more, she's more than likely going to resist it more. And the reason I was asking about the pediatrician, of course, you know, he's the doctor that you're in contact with and working with, so I can understand getting his advice on all aspects of it. But I also meant specifically on the is she undernourished? Is she not getting enough? Because parents, of course, with everything, we want to give our kids the best. With food, we can feel this very tangible sense of either I'm like giving my child life and goodness, or I'm not giving them enough. And so when she doesn't eat, you might feel like she's 
you know, not just rejecting your love, but not letting you parent her as well as you'd like and give her the love you want. But we can often, as you know, you said yourself, you can recognize that you're anxious. You're going to sometimes have these standards in your mind that are not based in the reality of what she needs. Like she needs to eat meat. I don't know if she needs to eat meat or even any meat or so much meat um, that you probably think is the right amount. And that's why I look to the pediatrician to see that, okay, if she's okay and she chooses to eat these other things, that's okay. And you're already getting to this place of, I want to tell her what to eat, not she's choosing. And this is going to keep coming up throughout her life of her choosing things. And yes, we want to create a healthy environment for her where the choices are healthy that she can pick, but she's going to pick what she eats and wears and does for fun and a whole bunch of things. And you have to be aware that you're not feeling this, but I know what's best for her. So I should get her to do this. Or why doesn't she do the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm providing for her as the best option? Oh, I see. Your point. No, she like her growth is good. Like okay. she's in like, as far as like a concern of pediatrician for the chart. And if she's in a good growth rate, she's okay right now. But then I just don't know if this issue keep going, going. The next thing you know, I don't, you know, like because I see pediatrician every three, four months. Yeah, but this and, this situation yeah. keeps going and going. The more you make it an issue, the more you know. Even this locking the pantry um, now necessarily should she have access to any, everything? You know, you can figure that out. But this lock, you know, already we're getting to this locking and you know hiding and keeping her away and forbidding things. You know that. That's not the path that's going to help in this situation. That's why I want you to get away from she has to have the meat today to I want her to have a good relationship with food and a good relationship with me when it comes to food and what she eats. That's going to be more important than if she actually eats meat today. And again, I don't know the specifics of does she even need to have meat at all or probably what you think she needs to have is not what she needs. It's a kind of emotional feeling of, okay, no, she needs to, you know, this. And Persians, like, have their words for it. To, you know, I don't give Junbeda or this, like, clearly grow and whatever it is you're looking for. But these right. things are probably a bit exaggerated in your mind of, you know, even some people actually say, oh, I want my child to have more dairy because dairy has calcium or whatever. And I, I don't even know what's the right thing <laughs> as far as her dietary breakdown. But I wouldn't say that you know you're coming from an emotional place when you're talking about what she should be eating not necessarily it's about the right thing and now you're going to make her feel bad about having her preferences this is actually in some way could be good okay i choose this good for you let's get you that rather than no 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 you shouldn't want that i'm going to hide it in a locker and you can never see it again it's going to make her want those things more and be less likely to have even the things you want to give her and again it's not an one, an insult. I kind of said it jokingly, but I hope you really take that. It's nothing about your cooking being good or bad or anything like that, or that she's insulting you or rejecting you. She just has preferences for what she wants to eat, as as makes sense that she should. And the more you make it an issue, the bigger this could become a huge issue if you keep making it an issue, if you keep pushing her to not eat the things she wants and so that she has to eat the things you want her to eat. I see. Okay. So you're going to have to let that, you know, that, uh, you know, and your situation, you know, I was talking about her with control. Your situation probably feels a bit out of control, too, with, you know, having the boy and then her and the boy. And it's a lot going on. So you might be like, okay, if she would just eat what I wanted. And now I'm feeling that more goes back to before. If she just does what I would want her to do, everything will be a lot easier. 
but she's you know yeah. her own person she's her uh you know becoming more and more her own person as far as making choices and we have to give her that space so with the food i would be careful as long as she's nutritionally okay the doctor says she's fine she's growing she's not undernourished she's not malnourished as far as missing certain vitamins minerals whatever she needs then the rest is just let her pick you know yeah if she's medically in some trouble we have I'm, i'm concerned but if it's just you feel like she's not having enough meat that to me almost has no value you know has no meaning exactly no i hear your point so i should be taking more easy on her because that's yeah you're right yeah yeah i mean when we talk this loud and talk about it i feel like you're i mean yeah well this is why you know and talking about it we can reflect which is very good and you should do that but this is one of the things you know i'm I'm, obviously i get to do this show which i love but also being a therapist i really enjoy and sometimes i'm just listening and the person just talks out loud and they realize something by talking like oh yeah i never thought about it that way till they say it out loud so we need to reflect and also with with what you're doing and you're so worried we can get so stuck in this is the right way it has to be this way and sometimes when we take a step back like wait why do i think it has to be this way you know now we can be pretty sure right now you're talking to me and you're in a certain state of mind but when you go back to your child those feelings are going to come up again so it's going to take you some time if you try to change this too and even for your child she's used to you being a certain way so there's going to be adjustment periods to any kind of type of change but i hope you will move towards being more permissive more open realizing this she has to eat this is not at all uh, some kind of really has to there's a lot of ways for her to be healthy and we want her to choose the way that feels right for her and and be careful because I heard in your voice a few times almost like this she it's almost like she's doing it to bother you like she's manipulating you like I know it tastes good and she won't eat it like she's just doing it to yeah. bother me you know and parents can feel that a lot of times that the the kid is doing it just to bother me and it could be and sometimes there's some you know I've mentioned power struggles a few times already but it could just be their preference and they that's how they feel or they're tired so they're acting grumpy but not to bother us just because they're having a tough day you know so be aware of that too to not put that type of uh, you know expectation on her and that anger towards her thank you so much Dr. my pleasure nice talking to you my pleasure have a great day oh by the way are you still there yes yes and you please say to both your kids all the time like man (laughs) shower them with love and affection yeah nice talking to you take care thank you have a great holiday thank you too all right let's go to our last commercial break we'll be right back Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Um, yes. Hi, Dr. Holokri. I just wanted to um, take a moment first to appreciate the time that you're taking answering all our dilemmas and questions. It's my um, pleasure. My call today is about my 14-year-old, and it kind of relates to the previous caller. Okay. Um, my 14-year-old, actually, a few years ago... Um, as we were concerned about the way she eats and um, I've come a long way <laughs> so as far as um, with the conversation was with the previous caller that you have to make sure that you're not enforcing um, you know certain food to her and you're mm-hmm. not taking it personally and it's not a cultural backbone to it like why you don't like gourmet sabzi everybody <laughs> loves gourmet sabzi this and that um, but rather, it was um, like 
um, being very um, particular and very limited of food choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked to her pediatrician and he was like, okay, um, I feel like you need to see a counselor um, because this is where you need to go. So we started um, life coaching and counseling, which helped us in many other ways as well. Um, thank God. But also the counselor told me that she has the sensory sensitivity issue, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I didn't understand a few years back. Now I exactly know if she says um, like orange is too citrusy, she doesn't want it because she, her body is exaggerating the taste into her mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so having said that, um, we actually started working with her slowly in replacing sugary stuff and encouraging. We've done um, rewards program, uh, anything you name it that the counselor threw at us. And she's known us for many years and talked to all of us, basically family of four. And she came to a conclusion that my daughter is very strong-willed, and she is, and she pretty much cannot help anymore at this point. Okay. So her choices of food has become, like, very limited. Like, when I say limited is, say, for example, she eats only bagel and cream cheese for three or weeks or a whole month every single day, which is okay. Because what we came to the conclusion of was we concentrate on what she eats and not what she doesn't eat. And we continued with this method, but that as I was just hoping that this gets a little bit better, but it's gotten to a point that is really worse. And technically, she says, for example, I want mac and cheese, and I make the mac and cheese. If one thing is off on that mac and cheese, then she's like, I don't want to eat it because you didn't make it right. Mm-hmm. And we encourage her to actually get her into cooking. We bought books for her. We encourage her to do that. And um, they all worked very limited at some period of time. And then, you know, it just we bounced back to where we were before. As far as growth, her pediatrician is actually not unhappy. She thinks she's growing, like gaining weight, which is a lot of it is muscle because she's a very strong gymnast. And um, to this point, my question was, how can I encourage her? Because I talked to her like she's old enough for us to have a casual conversation, Mm -hmm. very friendly and not me pushing my opinion to her. How can I engage her to possibly start seeing a nutritionist? Because I think at this point, it's not me knowing what's even getting into her system. Because to me, and I could be wrong, but not much of the vitamins are getting into. And when I said limited, she's very limited. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, again, the pediatrician, and they're going to know from a medical standpoint more of what's, if something's missing or, or if she's okay. You know, there's so many issues you brought up that it's going to be hard to even really get into all of them because, as you mentioned, there is a parallel uh, maybe 12 years later from the previous call of a child with some sensitivities. And you mentioned, you know, sometimes I hear sensory processing disorder, you know, um, uh, sensory sensitivities. There's different terms I've heard for it, but we understand that people in general and starting with in childhood have different 
sensitivities to different things, different things that they can tolerate. Just like two people can walk into a room and one person is more warm and the other one is cold, they don't have control over that. It's just the way they feel and their body is responding to the temperature. And so, you know, sometimes it's to texture. So some kids, they'll put on socks and they say, no, I just can't put on these socks because it feels so bad against their body or feels really itchy. And a lot of times with foods, the same things can happen. Certain textures, as you said, with your daughter, possibly citrus might really react, you know, feel, whereas we might feel a nice little sourness for them. It might feel painful or really uncomfortable. So that's not pleasant if, if that's what it's like to eat uh, citrus, let's say. Um, so we, we want to respect that. But, you know, what I'm concerned with, what some of what you're saying has some, uh, no pun intended, because we're talking about food, some flavor of OCD to it. Like, uh, you know, that it has to be a certain way. And of course, that's related to these issues in general, that the food has to be a certain way. So I don't know if there is, is there any other signs of, of that, of things having to be, let's say, and it could be OCPD, like things being a particular way. Um, and then gymnastics itself, you know, of course, it could be very good in developing lots of things, but there can be a perfectionism there as well that concerned me, That just that you brought it up, that came to my mind. So I threw a, a bit at you there, but just wanted to hear your thoughts about any of what I, I mentioned. Um, it is at some point, and pretty much every day we have a conversation of, you don't have to always strive for the best, you're okay the way you are, and you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, truly, She's been in competition pretty much all her life. She started at age of three, and she's been, you know, um, competing. And we, as a, in general, are trying to let her know that life is not a competition mm-hmm. in any ways, in your study, in your sports, in anything that you do. She strives for the best. And even I, at this point, have the conversation with her that being a perfectionist is not a positive thing and she knows that she's very smart like her understanding of stuff is i would say way more than her age Mm -hmm. um and she is particular in things yes Uh, she wants things in her own way and she's kind of an artist uh, and has that kind of view too like if the food that comes to her plate has a little bit imperfection um shape and look and you know it's a bit like maybe um, overwrite or something that she won't even touch it. Mm-hmm. So we even tried to go for things that like make her plate pretty for her and, you know, make it at a portion that is attractive to her. And we've done all of that as well. But right now my main concern is um, I've heard from even Radio Hambra um, and Dr. Benshan was talking about how you can, with your mind, um, comment to your mind that like this grape that I have in my hand is good you can kind of convince yourself to try it and eat it and not let your mind exaggerate what's not mm-hmm. on the good side of it you know what I'm saying well, like, I mean, yeah. if something mm-hmm. comes to your mind is there anything or anybody who is a specialist for this that can help her overcome some of her um, feeling yeah. towards a whole lot of self in particular food well, that few, is a problem a f- right now a few things the, the most important thing is what does she want because if she doesn't want to change those things it doesn't matter um, if there even is someone that can do that with her you know so if she doesn't want to do that it doesn't matter and we have to look at what she wants because she 
she might want things or feel like things have to be the way that they are. Because to you, it's very obvious. Let's change it. Let's expand what she eats, make it easier for her. And she might get that in a way, but she might be very afraid of that and not want things to change. So change is always hard, but it really is impossible if the person doesn't want that change. So that's, to me, very important. And yeah, can we change you know, something we're eating and the way it feels to a degree, right? I can't, I'm looking at this cup in front of me. I can't start chewing into it and say it tastes like, uh, you know, a cookie and convince myself of that maybe to a degree, but it's within some realms of things we can make ourselves more comfortable. So can she become more comfortable eating some of the things she doesn't like? Probably. Um, but we have to also, again, there probably are some limitations to that, especially with what she's, she's dealing with. I'm I'm more concerned about the mental health side. I mean, I guess no surprise, I'm a psychologist, but still I'm more worried about that side of things that can go towards this, the whether it's OCD, OCPD, perfectionism, the anxiety, they're all tied together. That's more um, my concern. And, you know, the therapist or life coach she's working with, that's that's wonderful. But if they're feeling like they no longer can help her, um, again, your daughter has to want to do any of the things we're talking about, but it might be good for her to go to a, a therapist who has specialized in working with these kinds of things, um, anxiety issues, potential OCD, those kinds of things, because that's that's where my concern lies. Of course, if she isn't getting the nutrients she needs, I'd be very concerned about that too, and that's something I'd want you to keep monitoring. But uh, or have have it be monitored by her doctors, but I'm more concerned about where psychologically things could also be going, that it does seem like you recognize there's a perfectionism, you know, you try to communicate it to her, but it seems like it's very strong in her of perfection or things being a certain way, and, and that can be very uh, dangerous down the line. Gotcha. So, I, so the, I mean, like I said, the last coach told us that she didn't find and, um, you know, she actually said she's not showing much interest in talking to me anymore. That's why she was like, I think we need to take a break. And this started a year ago, and she's not showing much interest okay. in talking to her. I don't yeah. want to really enforce it. No, I wouldn't push said. it. Yeah, and, and, well, and it seems like there's a, it's mutual. She's kind of, uh, the life coach is getting it too, that it's not quite working. And if your daughter's not that into it, it seems like it did serve a positive function. Um, early on and helped with lots of things and that's good and but maybe that's where you know the benefits can end or are going to end in this with this therapist this life coach and we might need to look at something else again anything we talk about if your daughter doesn't want to do it we can't force her but that's more my thinking is um, a therapist that can help her with the anxiety related uh, issues that she has that tend to get worse over time rather than better. And people with anxiety, OCD, tend to be more intelligent, so maybe she is very smart. But all those things won't protect her from what the anxiety and especially the perfectionism can turn into, which can be incredibly unhealthy. So that that's my concern. Um, the nutritionist part, possibly, but this we're going to change her mind about how she eats and the way she looks at foods. It's possible, but I wouldn't, you know, hold your breath on that or put too much on that. And again, she would really have to want to make those changes. So I'm more concerned on the the side of where these traits can turn into or become over time. So I would talk to her and maybe this life coach. You know, it was wonderful. We're appreciative for what she did, 
but it might be time for someone else or a different type of a um, clinician to, to work with her. And where would I, like, how would I even start? Um, I don't know. Are you in the Los Angeles area? No. East Coast. East Coast. Because I know someone in Los Angeles. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to, because I do have to end the show, but don't hang up. Uh, I'll, I'll quickly see if I can think of something to tell you to, to help you to some resources, okay? Thank you. I appreciate My pleasure. That. My pleasure. All right. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and listeners. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day.